0: If you got your Bibles, we're going to start in Luke 22. And I, two verses, and I really want to pull out two words. You'll see them twice. But we're going to have communion. By the way, did you all get the little communion cup when you came in? If not, just get up now, head, head right outside those doors. You can grab one because we're all going to take communion at the end of this. Um, but what I want to do today is I want us to walk through kind of a timeline of Jesus going to the cross. Sometimes because there are four accounts, so you have four different people in the gospels telling what happened and of course some things mean more to them than others and so they bring it out and, then, and so sometimes it's hard to just kind of get that sense of how did all of this play take place and how did all of it roll? And so today I just kind of want to walk you through as we prepare our hearts. But I want to do it based off of Luke 22. So they're in the upper room. This is uh, someplace, what, 12, 18 hours before Jesus gets, gets to the cross. And they're in the middle of the Passover meal, which is, of course, commemorating how God brought them out of Egypt. And yet now, in the middle of it, This is what we read, verse 19. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given, here's the two words I want you to grab on today, for you. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, and after they'd eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out, Same two words, for you, is the new covenant in my blood. If there's one thing the gospel writers continually hammer home is that Jesus going to the cross was not simply happenstance. It wasn't just a bad turn of events. It was on purpose, intentional, So he's sitting there, hours before going to the cross, he takes the bread and says, this is my body which is given intentionally for you. And then he takes the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood which I'm going to pour out for you. Now he dismisses Judas, who he knows has already betrayed him, to go get the guards for all of this to begin to happen. He then walks his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is exactly where he knows Judas will know to find him. There's an intentionality here in the cross that you've got to understand because he's doing this for you. For you. For you. The road to the cross starts in Gethsemane. He's arrested. He's taken to Caiaphas, the chief priest. He is mocked. He is falsely accused. They go then to Anna's house, then back to Caiaphas, He's ultimately, early in the morning, taken to see Pilate. Pilate can find no fault with him. He then led across town to Herod, the the, the king over the northern part, up in the area of Galilee. Herod can find no fault with him. Again, abuses him, sends him back to Pilate. Pilate really doesn't want anything to do with Jesus. And so he's thinking, hey, this is all happening because of jealousy the Jewish leaders don't like this guy. So maybe if they see blood. And so now he sends Jesus to be scourged. I'm going to give you the scripture. We don't have time to look at them today. I hope that you'll write them down. Maybe at some point you'll be able to go look at these. So Jesus is scourged. He's taken to the, to the to place called the patorium. If you ever go to Israel The day that they take you on the walk of the Via della Rosa, the way to the cross, you will go to a place called the Praetorium. They have uncovered in the floors where the Roman soldiers slept actually games that they played as they tormented and they tortured their victims. There in the Praetorium, Jesus is tied to a Roman whipping post. His outer garments are taken out. His back is laid open. And they took a whip, not like you know, we see out here in the wild, wild west, you know, to kind of snap around cattle and all this. No, this is a, actually a smaller whip, but it would come out in nine leather tongs. And in the end of the tongs, there would be tied something, a rock or a piece of metal that would give it weight. And then every you know, four, five, six inches in it would be tied something sharp so that it wasn't just simply the laceration of the whip, the leather hitting the back, but the weight gave it power. And these sharp objects then would actually grab into the flesh so that as they pulled it back, it would actually pull the flesh away. And 39 times, Jesus took that Roman whip, this is my body given for you. Then they decided to have a little fun with Jesus. His back completely opened up, probably not much flesh remaining. They now take a dirty old robe, but it's purple, right? They're gonna have fun with him and they put it on that raw back. And they make a crown of thorns. You know, we think of thorns, we think of like what rose bush, <laughs> maybe bogavilia, right? We know enough, you don't want to get into that. If you go to Israel, there's actually a plant and, and they'll show it to you. It comes off of kind of a really thin vine. But the needles on it are about two and a half to three inches long, and they would probably would have soaked this in water so that they could have made it curved and tied it together, and now they stick this into his head, they blindfold him, hail king of the Jews, they hit him in the face, they spit upon him, and they mock the king of kings. This is my body given for you. The crown of thorns. They now put his outer garment back on and they lead him back to to Pilate. Pilate's wife has sent him word, don't have anything to do with this man. He knows that the Jewish leaders, are. this is about jealousy. So he thinks, let me appeal to the the greater crowd. And so now he he takes him out to the greater crowd. Hey, who should I release, Jesus or Barabbas? Give us Barabbas. Well, what do I do with Jesus? Crucify him, crucify him crucify him so he has Jesus condemned to die taken by the Roman cohort typically in a in a crucifixion team there would have been four and so there were two robbers that were also going to be crucified so there would have been 12 soldiers, and what they would do is they would lead them through the streets and they would have to carry the cross. And whether that was just the horizontal cross section or whether it was the entire, both the vertical and the horizontal, we don't know. But you could think of Jesus after he has, first of all, had no sleep, right? Loss of blood they tell us historically many people died actually at the roman whipping post and jesus now carrying his cross to the finally stumbles under the weight and they press a man by the name of simon uh, from cyrene the northern part of africa uh, simon is a very well-known jewish name so probably a proselyte that had come to worship to be there for passover what we learn is he, he becomes a follower of Jesus. His two sons are in the early church. And he's pressed into service to carry the cross for Jesus outside of town to a place called Golgotha. Golgotha it's called, it means the place of a skull. A lot of Speculation. As to, you know, some have thought that maybe this was the place where they kept the, the head of Goliath. Remember, David had killed Goliath a thousand years before this. But Jews weren't supposed to deal with dead man's bones, right? It would make them unclean, unpure. So most likely there's something about this place that resembled a skull. If you go to Jerusalem today, there are two places that they will take you. One is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, where they believe that Jesus was crucified, and then close to that, the the garden tomb. Or there's another place just outside the Damascus Gate. Now, the interesting thing about the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is today it's in the old city of Jerusalem, but it wasn't in Jesus' day. That wall was built later, so it could have been the place but there's another place they're going to take you. It's called Gordon's Calvary. And what's interesting about Gordon's Calvary is it's right outside the Damascus Gate, which would existed in Jesus' day. And it's called the Damascus Gate because the main road outside that gate ran between Damascus and Egypt. It was the I-10 of their day. And that's typically where Romans would create their crucifixions they wanted it on the highway because everybody would see if you do Rome wrong you don't walk in lockstep with Rome this is what will happen to you and it's very interesting because on the face of a bit of a cliff right there there's a, a structure that looks a little bit like the face of a skull Golgotha, and once they get there, the first thing that they would do with the condemned to die is they would offer them myrrh. Remember, myrrh was one of the things that Jesus was brought at his birth. Myrrh was uh, both a perfume, but if it was crushed and it was added to either wine or to water, it became a narcotic. And you can imagine the excruciating pain that these prisoners are going to go through as they die, and this would kind of dull that pain so that they wouldn't flash as they, they tried to drive the nails into their hand, into their feet. But Jesus is there for you. This is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you. and And so he's standing there, and going to hang there taking my sin and your sin upon himself. He, he can't dull himself. He has to embrace it all and so he refuses it. He is going to bear the full punishment that you and I deserve. He's then nailed to the cross. You can imagine that raw back as it's laid down on the wood and the hands stretched out. We talk about the nail prints in his hand, and most likely it's not here. It's, it's more back here at the base of the hand, between those two bones. One driven on one side, one driven on the other. What they would do then is they would take the, the feet and they would tie them like this and put the, put the nail in here down through the ankles, they would bend the knees just enough because here's the thing about dying on the cross. It wasn't, you didn't typically bleed out. You would typically die by asphyxiation. Eventually you would get so tired as a lot of times crucifixion would play out over a a day, a day and a half, two days. And the idea is you had to push up to get your breath and then you would fall back down, and eventually you would just get too tired and you would suffocate. That's why to hurry their death, uh, they would often come and break the legs. That way you couldn't push up. And then they would put ropes around the cross member, the horizontal piece, and they would begin to lift it up and finally it would fall into the hole and then all the weight, you know, you're attached by three points, right? All the weight would come down on those three attachment points. They tell us that all the ligaments in the shoulders would be ripped out, bones pulled out of joint. Kind of what Psalm 22 told us would happen with Jesus. And now for six hours Jesus is going to hang on that cross. The first six hours, the first three kind of some interesting stuff takes place. First of all, I've got to hurry here. We, we know from Mark that Jesus was on the cross by nine o'clock in the morning. The first thing that would happen is they would hang the charge. For Jesus, you know, you've got the robbers, right? The robbers. They're thieves. For Jesus, it's Jesus the Nazarene king of the Jews the soldiers now because they would strip him naked and if you were with us back in our study of the Psalms remember Robbie took Psalm 22 it's so prophetic about the crucifixion and he reminded us that when man sinned right remember they're both naked and not ashamed in the garden when he sinned man and realized his nakedness and now he's got to cover it and make fig leaves and finally god makes them a covering right to cover the shame of their nakedness well jesus now is paying for our sin he has to endure the shame of nakedness you know and we we try to make it pg you know for the little kids in church so whenever they painted a picture they'd always put a loincloth no jesus hangs there in the nakedness and the shame of his nakedness and the soldiers divided his spoil. There were typically five things there are sandals, there's an undergarment, there's a belt, there's an outer garment of which the belt goes around, there's a head covering. How many soldiers? Four. You got five things. So they chose one each, but there's one left. Now instead of ripping up that outer tunic, they decided to cast lots. Psalm 22. What's fascinating in this moment, the first thing that Jesus speaks as he hangs on the cross that is recorded is simply this. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And you go right back to what he just said 12 hours ago, right? In the upper room. This is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you. You see, the whole reason Jesus is on the cross is because about our forgiveness. And now, lo, that it even crucified him. Father, forgive them. And then you begin to think about how God maybe answered that prayer, Uh, Best we understand, Simon, who carried his cross, became a believer. His children became a believer. The the centurion, and we don't know where his faith went, but we do know that as Jesus died, he said, truly, this was the Son of God. You get to the early part of the book of Acts, and one of the things you read is that there are many priests who are part of the Jewish leadership who, who put Jesus on the cross, who came to believe. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. The crowd begins to verbally abuse Jesus. Again, fulfillment of Psalm 22. You know, he saved others. Why didn't he save himself? Hey, you come down off the cross. We'll believe. They ridiculed him. Even the two thieves that were with him. But one of them in these three hours went from also taunting Jesus To all of a sudden realize, no, 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 there's something different. Lord, would you remember me today when you come into your kingdom? Would you remember me? He repents. What What an incredible reminder. Jesus said, this is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you. And here's this thief on the cross who's guilty Who's also been taunting Jesus, but who now turns in repentance, and Jesus says, Ah, today, today you'll be with me in paradise. Then he looks down, and in the book of John, what we see is that his mother Mary is there at the cross. It was the responsibility of the oldest Jewish son to make sure that he took care of his mother. There's this mom. So he looks at his disciple John and said, John, behold your mother. Behold your son. And then we swing into the last three hours. Uh, the last three hours is a different sense of what's going on. It's from noon to three, and a supernatural darkness, as we're told, comes on. In fact, if you read some of the early church fathers like Origen and, and Tertullian, they they actually tell us that that this wasn't just localized. You know, whenever they make a movie about the crucifixion, it's usually a storm that rolls in, right? Clouds get black, right? That's what creates the darkness. Well, we don't read anything about a storm. In fact, the word that Luke uses about this is the same word for eclipse. This darkness, And yet, we can go back with computer models. We know where the sun was that day. We know where the moon was. There was no eclipse. It's just simply this darkness. It's almost like the sun refuses to shine. Why? Well, because there is something taking place here. Jesus is burying our sins. He's hanging there. You know, His body is given for you. His blood poured out for you. He's bearing our sin. And now something happens in the eternal relationship with God that's different. I've had some people push back at this over the years and say, no, 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 you know, it's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Trinity, it can't happen. No, 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 no. Jesus is bearing our sin. Remember in the garden... God had said the day you eat of that tree, you'll die, right? But did they physically die that day? The answer is no. They lived 900 years. But did they die that day? The answer is yes. They died spiritually, right? Their relationship with the Father was changed in the garden. They no longer could walk and talk with Him. They're kicked out of the garden. They died spiritually. And as Jesus hangs on that cross, in my sin, in your sin, his relationship with the Father now has changed. Habakkuk says, pure eyes that cannot look on evil is what God has. In fact, Jesus cries out at the end of those three hours, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's interesting is to stop and to think about how does Jesus typically address God? You know what the word is he uses? Father. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Father, you've given them to me. I kept them. But now as he bears our sin... That relationship is changed because of our sin, and it is now quoting from Psalm twenty-two: "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" And then he's thirsty. You talk about intentionality. If you ever watch some, you know, most of us experience when we're sick, right? We we get dry mouth. If you ever watch somebody die, you know that's something that something happens; they get dry. Well. well Jesus is going to die, but he's still got stuff he's got to do. He's got to say, and so I am I thirst. And now he cries out, it is finished. We use this word a lot. It's the word to tell us die. It meant the debt is paid. It's paid in full. You see, this is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you, right? This is why he came, and when it is finished, Finished, when it is done, when atonement has been made, he cries out, it's finished. It's finished. And then Luke tells us he dismisses the spirit. This idea that Jesus somehow f- went feebly into death. No, 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 no. In fact, Luke even says he cried out with a loud voice into your hands. This was not a life ebbing away. This is Jesus fulfilling what he has said. This is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Now it is done into your hands. I give my spirit, and he dies. And one last piece because I got to finish. At the moment of his death, there's an earthquake. But Matthew tells us something else happened. The veil in the temple. Right? To understand the veil in the temple, you actually got to go all the way back to the book of Exodus. Exodus when God meets Moses up on Mount Sinai, right, and he gives him the instructions for the Ark of the Covenant, where the mercy seat is, the two cherubim, that's where God's presence is going to dwell. And this Ark of the Covenant's going to go with them. And you're going to build a tabernacle to house it. And there's going to be this area, which is called the, the holy place, where priests go every day to burn incense and to keep the candelabras. But then there's a veil, and behind that is where the Ark of the Covenant, my presence, is going to be. And only one man can go there. He's the high priest. And only he can go only one day, and that is on the Day of Atonement. And he can only go after he has made sacrifice for his sins and the sins of the people. Then he can go and sprinkle one man one day a year with one sacrifice. Hmm. It is finished. This is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you. It is finished. And what we read is that the veil is torn from top to bottom. It's like now God the Holy Spirit grabs this veil and rips it right down the center. The way to the holy of holies, the very presence of God is made so that you and I can know him. This is my body given for you. My blood poured out for you.